coming up next in The Ziggler Show. So I would say don't be selfless. Be intelligently selfish, okay? And if each of us on this world is intelligently selfish, okay, let me describe what that looks like. It is selfish for me, Monty Moran, to want you to be feel better in my presence. It is selfish for me to want the world to be an awesome, abundant place of beauty and abundance and cleanliness and respect. It is, sel- it is in my selfish best interest that the United States be a country filled with people who are fulfilled, happy, and have wonderful jobs and careers and, and have great health benefits. And that's good for me because I'll also be one of those people in the United States. Yeah. In other words, short, long story short, it is in my own selfish best interest that everyone else in the world is well, is doing, is doing well, is happy, is fulfilled, is able to eat, is it, you know, because that means there'll be more peace in the world. That means that I can partake in. There'll be more peace in the world that I selfishly can partake in. There'll be more happiness in the world and joy in the world that I can partake in. There'll be less crises in the world that I have to solve or help solve. Welcome to The Ziggler Show, a top-ranked all-time career podcast in Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. In this show, we expound on Zig Ziggler's be, do, and have philosophy, meaning you have to be the right kind of person, then do the right things before you can expect to have what really matters in life. And we want you to have what matters. Also, check out my podcast, What Drives You, where we talk with people who have reached impressive achievements to ask what drove them, good and bad. And we dig into the very motives that drive us all with the goal of clarifying just what is driving you. Then in my True Life podcast, we want to get you fully functioning physically so your body doesn't hold you back. You can find all three of my shows in Apple Podcasts. Just search for Kevin Miller or go to my website, kevinmiller.co. And if you're new to The Ziggler Show, I invite you to visit ziggler.com. Connect with Tom Ziggler and the Ziggler family about upcoming events and how they can come alongside you and help you inspire your true performance. With me today is former Chipotle co-CEO, Monty Moran. As you hear in the intro, he provides a significant perspective on the concept of what we'd say is doing the right thing, but relating it to our very tangible self-interest. It's something that intrigues me. It flies in the face of authoritative leadership and management principles that the corporate world was originally based on which of course is why his story of taking Chipotle from its humble beginnings to its meteoric success is so intriguing. Well, also in this episode, you're going to hear him discuss his habits for mental health. He said he often wakes feeling the weight of the world on his shoulders and feeling like a failure, which is interesting for a guy who seems so successful. I mean, would you feel like a failure if you were worth, you know, three or $400 million and had the fame and glory that he's experienced? Well, Monty shares how he strives to practice compassion on himself. He says he tries to make friends with his feelings. And when he wakes with that foreboding to, as he says, hold my own troubles in a kind and accepting way. Uh, Here's an offering from Monty. If you go to loveisfree.com, you can buy his book, Love is Free, Guac is Extra, and he'll write in there whatever you want, send it to you. Kind of neat. Because coming up next here, I bring you Monty Moran. Okay, so I always start off with the health spoke here, you know, nutrition and uh, exercise and diet and what we expect is to hear how much, you know, guac and burritos you eat every day, right? 
that fit in the, <laughs> the diet? Or it, I, I was, I did think about that. Or, you know, people say, oh, you know, you still really enjoy that. Or you say, you know what? I, I, I can't stand the smell of a burrito. Where does it stand for you? You know, I, I, I got it. I never got sick of Chipotle actually. And, you know, uh, while I worked there, I was in restaurants all the time. I was in Chipotle restaurants all the time while I worked at Chipotle. And uh, I mean, I'd eat that. I'd eat those burritos or, or bowl. I went over to bowls, but I eat bowls every day. Yeah. I, I got rid of burritos because it was like, okay, when you eat that many, that's a lot of tortillas. <laughs> and the tortilla is high calorie, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah granted. <laughs> um, and um, and well, high carb. So, but I went over to bowls and I, I never got tired of them. Well, so tell us about that nutrition side. I mean, nutrition, everybody's looking at the latest, you know, fads and diets and techniques out there on nutrition. Anything specifically that you adhere to? for your personal nutrition? I guess kind of, you know, um, but let me quote someone who I think summed it up so brilliantly. And it's yeah. Michael Paul, Michael Pollan. Uh, the first, the, my my the audience first, knows Michael Pollan. He's one of my favorites. Uh, okay, I've, cool. I've given away cases of food rules. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so in his book, Omnivore's Dilemma, Dilemma yeah. I think that was the one he wrote this in, or maybe it was uh, in defense of food. One of those two, um, he wrote, um, eat food, not too much, Mostly plants, and I'm pretty sure that's an exact. No, no that's on the, the that's on the the cover of food. It's, rules. it's the first three sentences yeah. of. The, I think it's maybe in defense of food. I think it's the first three sentences. Eat food. Period. Mostly plants. Period. No, no, I'm sorry. Not too much. Period. Mostly plants. Yeah. If I've got it wrong, then forgive me. But I. Those don't are those are the three. No, you nailed it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I looked, I haven't read that book in 20 years. Well, since when it came out, yeah. I read it then and I haven't read it. Uh, maybe I've glanced at it since, but anyway, but, but it's, it means more than that by eat food. He meant something that is recognizably would be recognizable as food by your grandmother. I yeah. think he said, yeah. and look by now, let's just add great grandmother. Let's say great grandmother. Cause another generation might've gone by since I read the yeah. book. Um, so eat food, meaning something that your great grandmother would know was food, you know, uh, and they wouldn't know most of what's in the grocery store is food. You know, they wouldn't know, uh, you know, what a hot pocket is or whatever. I'm not trying to ding hot pockets, but I mean, they like, wouldn't know food. the ingredients in those. You can't pronounce. They it. wouldn't know yeah. the ingredients. They can't pronounce. Okay. So eat food, not too much. Okay. It's like, Hey, you know, uh, we tend to eat too much. We're a very affluent country. Food has gotten way cheaper compared to our incomes over the years since our grandparents were on earth. We in the United States spend correspondingly less on food than, um, than almost any other country in almost any other time in history as a percentage of our income. Yeah. Uh, and and um, so spend more of your percentage of your income on better food, the actual food. And then um, when he says mostly plants, I mean, he doesn't mean grains when he says plants. Yeah. He means plants. You know, plants, not grains. And so, uh, but yet there's this huge push towards grains. And we have the food pyramid we grew up with. You know, we were taught the food pyramid. The food pyramid is bullshit. Yeah. It is not true. It is wrong. It will lead to unhealthfulness. And it's too bad that our government has foisted that on people, but it's because there's a great deal of lobbying by hugely powerful organizations. And, you know, we eat too much grain. We eat too much sugars. You know, we eat too much processed stuff. And we need to eat, you know, basically we need to eat in a, in a much more balanced way. And um, so I just happen to really like vegetables and I happen to like, uh, you know, I like uh, meat and or high protein stuff. Yeah. And so I eat a lot of vegetables and meat and it's been great for me. And, you know, I eat some grain. I'm not anti-grain. I just don't 
you know, I just don't think that foods that are predominantly grain make me feel very good yeah. personally. And, and so, and as a result, I've enjoyed, uh, you know, like I said, my 55th birthday today, and I'm, I'm really healthy and I'm really grateful to be in a body that's comfortable and it does stuff and I can go run and swim and bike and leap and water ski and whatever. Man. And it keeps working. That's a blessing. And a- so I'm trying to keep that blessing going a- for as long as I can. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> and again, happy, uh, happy birthday and happy Thank he- you. healthy birthday. You know, it's interesting. We have people bring lunch into the office, uh, fairly frequently and they know that we're kind of on the healthier side and so chipotle will happen once in a while the only thing is and i get a bowl but i know i'm gonna overeat i, I still have a hard time not eating all that's on my plate i'm a good american boy and you know yeah. you gotta you gotta do that or people will starve and so i know on the chipotle day i'm gonna overeat because oh my gosh it's still so much food it's just yeah dramatic. it is a it's lot a of food. big old portion okay well you, you 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 look like a fit guy as well and living in colorado i think you kind of have to be so what about on the exercise side anything you do there yeah. I mean, I swim a lot, you know, so, oh. I, you know, I usually get up in the morning morning, and I go swim a mile. And, and lately I've been trying to, I kind of never gotten any faster. I've just swum, I go swim a mile and I just swim, you know, but lately I'm actually trying to speed up a little bit. I think maybe I'm inspired by my wife who she's younger than me. And she's, uh, I, I basically taught her how to swim the front crawl. She already swam breaststroke and she could go forever, but she didn't even know how to swim the crawl, you know, the, the freestyle. And so I taught her that now she's getting like really good, like, like kind of like was going to pass me and be better than me soon. And yeah. I guess that kind of engages my ego a little bit and competitive and so i'm trying to go a little faster now because i don't want to be outdone <laughs> but anyway swimming swim is great i also run you know i think running is just it's one of these exercises that's so good so easy you can do it with nothing but a pair of shoes and you can do it right now and yes. it doesn't take very long right i love cycling but you know to get a good exercise on a bicycle um you got to be on it for a while usually unless you go do hill climbing or something but that's just hard um but if you want to go out and you know uh, and go spin 50 miles I mean, it takes hours yeah. and you don't always have hours so yeah. running you know you go out and run 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes is always a good workout any run is a hard run <laughs> so i run and i swim mostly and yeah. uh, you know but i'm active in, in a lot of other sports as well so relationships is the next area and for folks listening our first show together that's what we spent the entire time i think an hour and 50 minutes talking about relationships and so if i had i'll answer for you how's that at least part of it because you taught me in there i mean a primary thing you do for your relational health in general is put is that humility that, that we came to putting other people first making them their interest ahead of your interest is a key thing how do you do that in even in your personal lives i mean it's one thing to do it out there and work with an employee but how are you employing that friends family and those the more intimate relationships as well yeah i mean i just uh, you know i guess it's 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 not that i wake up every day and even decide i'm going to put other people first it's not that overt where it comes from with me is that i have learned that and so i'll, I'll say i come at it more selfishly how about that um, that'll make it more relatable because I think we all know that deep inside we're selfish. We want something that's good for us. Yeah. Well, I find that I'm just at my best and at my happiest when the people around me feel good. And I'm also a really perceptive person um, for better or for worse, because I tend to like, if somebody comes in and they're in a bad mood, I feel it. If somebody comes in and they're mad, I feel it. Um, certainly. Uh, I mean, that's just even with strangers. Okay. But certainly with anyone who's like uh, related to me or I'm, I'm in a more intimate relationship with uh, like my, you know, my wife or, you know, anyone in my family, you know, when they come in and they're in a bad mood, I feel it, you know, and I think most of us would say we do. We know when someone's hurting or upset or angry or in one of those moods that's not quite as comfortable to deal with. And and I uh, I am just always very curious um, to, 
I always want to be a source of helping others feel at their best. And, and you could say it's selfish. I feel better when they feel better. Sure. And, and so since I don't feel very good when they don't feel good, when someone is around me doesn't feel good, stranger, friend, or uh, a brother or a child or wife, anyone, any relationship with me, when someone is around me and doesn't feel good, I have this yearning to want to help them feel good. And that's not because I'm a good Christian. That's not because I'm a nice guy. It's because it makes me feel better when they feel better. Um, and, and I've learned that um, by trying to help them feel better or by showing an interest in them when they're hurting or not feeling well, um, just showing that interest, just caring, just taking that one step of caring tends to make people feel a lot better. I said to you in our last show um, that, that I, I have this thing I keep saying that all of us want in life. And I say this in the docu-series, and I think I, it's very proven in the docu-series, uh, Connected, um, that all of us want to be seen, valued, loved, and understood. All of us want that. You know, all of us feel best when we feel valuable, uh, when we feel that people understand us, when we feel loved. And, and then we can, of course, in turn, we feel loving of others. Well, you know, the thing that makes me feel most seen, valued, loved, and understood is when the people around me are at their best and feel good and are happy. And, and, you know, I learned as a very young person that just directing our attention, our awareness, our concern, and our desire and our curiosity, our desire to understand someone else, just by directing that energy at someone right away, it makes a difference to them yeah. right away. It ignites it, it relaxes them. It causes them to feel important. It causes them to be our teacher. If we start asking them questions, they need to answer those questions. Um, and uh, then they're all of a sudden they're in a position of providing us information. You know, almost anyone in the world, almost anywhere in the world, no matter how busy, no matter how angry they are, if you say, hey, sir, what time is it? They're going to go. They're not going to say, get your own watch. Yeah. They're going to say, oh, it's a uh, quarter to three. And they're going to run off if they're busy. But they're going to stop and answer that question. Why? People generally have an innate desire to be of use. Yeah. to others, you know, yeah. to provide information, to provide guidance, care, or, or at least to answer a question. Um, so that makes people feel good to give of themselves. That's a very simple little tiny example. What time is it? And give the time. But when you give the time, you're providing information. You're yeah. doing something for someone else, even if it's a very small thing. Well, the truth is people actually want to do even more for other people if they can and if they feel like they can be of use and if they feel like they can be helpful. And I guess what I'm here to say is that I've learned all of us can be not just helpful to others, but immensely helpful to others, no matter what education we have, no matter what knowledge we have, no matter what experience we have, no matter what degrees or positions of high rank we hold, just by creating a moment of presence with someone where you turn to them, look at them, and care enough to even notice that perhaps they're not having a great day. You know, and as soon as you notice someone's not, hey, are you, hey, Kevin, how are you doing today? Oh, pretty good, Monty, pretty good, pretty good. Wow, Kevin, I know you said pretty good, but it doesn't sound like you're pretty good to me. Are you sure you're okay? You seem a little off today. Oh, well, actually, Monty, now that you mention it, you know, I hit a squirrel on the way to work and I just feel bad about it. And then what can you demonstrate? As soon as I ask you, what's, something's not okay. I know you, you're not at your best. Then you can then share with me. Well, actually, I'm not at my best because I hit a squirrel on the way to work. And I feel bad. And then what can I give you in return? What, do I, what can anyone give you without any skill or experience? Compassion. Yeah. I know how you feel. I got it. You know, I did the same thing once. I, you know, I hit a cat when I was a kid. I got whatever. I mean, all right, whatever. I had to, God, I'm sorry. That sucks. I can see why you're feeling. And then I give you compassion in exchange for which you feel loved, in exchange for which you feel forgiven by me and, and are able to forgive yourself and you're able to forgive the moment and all of a sudden you feel a little bit better. So it's just that simple. 
I appreci- and anyone can do it. I, and I appreciate that you brought it back to not brought it back, but that you um, cashed it with self-interest. I'm a, a fan, a, kind of a spiritual writer, Anthony DeMello, and he has this big section on how we are all self-interested. And it feels so empowering to me to look at it. And it's not just some altruistic, holy oh, thing. It, it's I wrote it a whole paper me. when I was a kid. I wrote a whole paper in college that was titled... I forgot the title. It was like, um, good, uh, doing good without the need for altruism. I actually wrote a, that was a big, for my, my final paper in one of my classes. And because this idea of altruism bothers me and offends me, it actually offends me. Why? Probably because as a kid, I knew I was selfish. Yeah. And I was like, well, altruism. I mean, are there people like, do I suck that bad that I want a good life? Do I suck There's that bad? The, the that church I want? thing, be selfless, die to self. Yeah, be I selfless. Yeah. So I would say, don't be selfless be intelligently selfish. Okay. And if each of us on this world is intelligently selfish, okay, let me describe what that looks like. It is selfish for me, Monty Moran, to want you to be feel better in my presence. It is selfish for me to want the world to be an awesome, abundant place of beauty and abundance and cleanliness and respect. It is so it is in my selfish best interest that the United States be a country filled with people who are fulfilled, happy, and have wonderful jobs and careers and, and have great health benefits. And that's good for me because I'll also be one of those people in the United States. Yeah. In other words, short, long story short, it is in my own selfish best interest that everyone else in the world is well, is doing, is doing well, is happy, is fulfilled, is able to eat, is it, you know, because that means there'll be more peace in the world. That means that I can partake in. There'll be more peace in the world that I selfishly can partake in. There'll be more happiness in the world and joy in the world that I can partake in. There'll be less crises in the world that I have to solve or help solve. You know, so, you know, <clears throat> let's not talk about being selfless because that's just not biologically very real, in my opinion. Agreed. But, but, it, but you can be tremendously concerned about others and you can want to see them at their best and you can even feel the sense of fulfillment for having been a catalyst in their well-being for having been a catalyst in them having a better day for for having been some small reason why they're a bit of a happier person maybe even that feels great what could be more selfish than wanting to feel great and if that makes you feel great you'll do more of it and if you do more of it guess what you are then a positive powerful force in this world without having excuse me without having to ever be unselfish. You can be perfectly selfish. Just be smart selfish. Thanks. That's stupid. A lot of people are stupid. They're selfish in a stupid way of saying, I want the money. I want the power. I want the glory. I don't want my team to get the glory. I don't want my team to get the power. And guess where they end up? Miserable, unfulfilled, and generally not powerful. Although, although there are certainly some people who have obtained positions of great power in ways that were probably unseemly. Well, yeah, success, power, but not as we've been, as you brought up so many times, not core fulfillment. No, and not lasting power. Yeah. Not, not even lasting power. They won't have a lasting, positively powerful influence on the world. Yeah. You are listening to The Ziggler Show and my habits episode with Monty Moran. So next I asked Monty about his mental habits and he shares what I shared at the intro too, how he tends to wake every morning, not feeling great, feeling like a failure. So he shares what he does to cope with it. Well, so much of what you said there goes into the next spoke here, which is mental. And, you know, so 
two things. Actually, with you, I'm going to ask it in two ways. One, you know, what do you do just for your own? Well, I'll just start there. Just for your own mental wellness, your own mental health, your own mental state, any specific habits there? Yes. Um, well, it's funny. I never thought of them as habits until recently. I realized I do them every day. So I guess they're habits now. <laughs> that, quali- that qualifies. Yeah, absolutely. yeah. Right. So, I mean, every morning when I wake up, I tend to wake up not feeling great. I tend to wake up feeling like, I guess the best way to describe it is sort of the, 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 the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I wake up feeling like a bit of a failure. I wake up feeling like I'm not doing enough. I wake up with all these sort of busy kind of negative thoughts in my mind. And, um, and what, I, what I did for a lot of years, which was highly ineffective, is I'd wake up and be like, why am I in such a, why am I, why am I beating myself up? Why am I, you know, why am I such a, why, why I, what I woke up is that I woke up with these kind of negative feelings and then spent a bunch of time rejecting them. So I was taking something negative and then being negative towards it. So negative times negative, it turns out equals really negative. Um, and so what I've learned to do recently is I wake up, I feel those feelings like, oh, wow, interesting. Let me just be nice to those feelings. Hmm. Let me hold those feelings like I would hold a, a baby child, you know, you know, maybe, or, or a puppy. You know, maybe you hold the puppy, you stroke its head, you kind of cuddle it under its chin and you mm-hmm. scratch its belly and it kind of goes, oh, and it turns around. So I try to hold with love, patience and presence those, quote unquote, negative feelings I'm feeling, those feelings of self-doubt, those feelings of I'm not good enough or those feelings of um, uh, failure. And I feel lots of those feelings. But if I wake up and just feel them and let them be, don't try to get rid of them. Trying to get rid of them didn't work, by the way. I tried it my whole life. I'm 55 now. It didn't work. Yeah. Um, but if I just find, give, give them patience and allow them, and, and, even, and, then I, and then I can turn the volume up on that thought and even try to be grateful for them. Oh, oh, these feelings are just some form of ambition. These feelings are just some desire to be active. These feelings are, uh, are just some fuel in me to try to help me uh, get up and maybe have a useful day. Oh, these are okay. These aren't bad. I'm used to the, I, I, these are old friends, these feelings. So by making friends with these feelings, that's the habit I start the day with. And, and I wouldn't have told the story, except that I know a lot of people wake up uh, with some negativity, you know, with some feelings of uh, being inadequate or, or you're insecure or, oh gosh, I've got a presentation today. I hope I don't suck. You know, I don't want to be embarrassed, you know, I, or I, or God, it's going to be a hard day. You know, a lot of us wake up with, I guess, some sort of foreboding feeling about the day to come. And, and then, you know, what I've learned is that my days don't tend to be negative at all. I, I get going and they're fun and they're exciting and they're enriching and I, I, I'm, I'm delighted and grateful. But for some reason in the morning, a lot of times the first feelings I feel are kind of negative. And now I've tried to become friends with those negative feelings and just be loving towards them. Just like if a child cries and is feeling negatively, you don't go and slap the child to try to make it feel better. You pick up the child and hold the child. Um, you know, if, 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 you know any, if any animal is in distress, you show kindness and love and compassion towards that animal. But towards ourselves, we tend not to. Yeah. When we're in distress, we're like, why am I so wimpy? Why don't I just, I don't have anything to complain about. I mean, I've got, I'm, I've got four limbs and I'm strong and capable and, and, and I, I'm not in pain today. I, I, you know, and and we're, we're aggressive towards ourselves even though we tend to be better at being kind to others. So it's about being maybe kind to ourselves. That's I was going to say, say it sounds like self, a great depiction of self-compassion, which 
is a, a highlight term for me because I tend to not have it for myself. And if I don't, it's really hard to give it off to others. It, you know, yeah. you talked about that. So many people wake with foreboding. That was one little piece I wanted to hit on in having you here in the fact, you know, again, in our first show, you talked about the 25,000 people that you sat with at Chipotle and, and interacted with that as we are in this gun, I know you've been out of it for four years, uh, at least at Ch with Chipotle, but that even then we're in a place right now where the mental health of our culture specifically, you know, in America is on such a decline right now that I know that employers, especially in the corporate world where you're dealing with thousands, tens of thousands of, of, of employees that you're seeing the effect of that, whatever that may be waking with foreboding, that sense of hopelessness, that, that mental aspect is, uh, it, it's gotta be a bigger and bigger thing for business at large today. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it really has to be. And I think that the, the, you know, it's funny. I just said that the habit I've developed to try to ease myself into the day in a positive way is to sort of mentally hold my own troubles in a kind and accepting way. Hmm. Um, even perhaps having gratitude for those feelings. Uh, you know, I think this is, is what we need to do in our larger organizations as well, um, is, is approach things with concern and care and love and kindness. Um, and again, and, and it, like I said in the last show, that doesn't mean it's always comfortable. That doesn't mean it's not dis with discipline. That doesn't mean it's not with hard work. In fact, hard work, struggle, and discipline to me are extraordinarily important aspects of life that cause people to grow into much uh, more powerfully positive people and forces in the world. And I think in our modern society, we do too much to baby people way too much. You know, we, we, we do way too much. Oh, you're offended. Oh my gosh. We, we got to change everything. Cause you're offended. It's yeah. like, no, 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 no. If you're offended, it's okay. You're offended. Being offended is okay. You know, um, having to, Oh, you're having to work really hard at your job. Oh my gosh. You're having to work hard. I'm so sorry. No, you're having to work hard. Good. Working hard is okay. Working hard builds character. Working hard, working hard builds beautiful things. Working hard builds, you know, and wisdom and intelligence. Working hard is good. You know? So I think a lot of the things that we might think of as negative, we should accept them as positive things like struggle, things like hard work, things like, you know, um, you know, having to earn a living, you know, I mean, you know, these things are good. These things make you a better, more fulfilled, happier person, not a miserable person. Yeah. Even if on any given day, you might be like, Oh my God, I don't want to go to work today. Well, it's okay to not want something and still have to do it. That's okay. That's actually good. You know I mean? And, and, you know, if we all got what we wanted in every moment, we'd be a bunch of miserable, lazy folks. Yeah. Yes. So you mentioned work. And also, we don't know what we want. We also don't know what we want. We don't, we don't know, know what we want. want. If, 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 I, if I had said to you, and knowing nothing about, Kevin, knowing nothing about your wife or your personal life, relationship-wise, if I would have said to you when you were five years old, Kevin, I want you to write in this piece of paper what you want your wife to be like, and I'm going to give you that wife when you're, whatever, 25, mm -hmm. and you'd written it down, I, it wouldn't be who you're with now. And you're probably glad it isn't, mm -hmm. you know, cause you, cause you wouldn't know what you want. You wouldn't know what fits you. You wouldn't know what would be good for you. I mean, God only knows that you don't. <laughs> I just envision myself saying someone who will make me sandwiches. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Maybe you just have so many, damn which, which I'm still not against I, my wife. My wife hears this. I'm still good with that one. Uh, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. You're totally right. So next one, you know, you talk about working, earning a living. How about financial? Just any hallmark financial habits? Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, I've always lived within my means. I've always um, tried not to, you know, not spend anything near what I earn. 
and and that's been really fulfilling. So I try to have enough left over. Uh, you know, I've always tried to have enough left over to um, where if one of my biggest uh, assets broke, I could fix it. You know, so when I was when I was 16 and I first bought a car, if the car had broke, it was broken, I wanted to have enough money to fix it. Uh, and so if I had an extra four or five hundred bucks in the bank when I bought my car, my first car, I paid four thousand dollars. My parents paid half. They paid two thousand. I paid two thousand. And I saved up a long time for that two thousand. But actually, I had a little bit more than two thousand when I bought the four thousand dollar car because I wanted to have enough to fix it if it broke. And I did have just enough to fix it if it broke. And sometimes I didn't quite have enough and I had to work a little longer. Yeah. But, I, you know, so I just try to live within my means. I think that's really important. and also feels better. Um, but also financially, I think just having a general awareness that stuff doesn't usually make us happier is a really powerful tool. Um, stuff we buy doesn't really make us happier, like at all. Um, and uh, so kind of realizing that, um, you know, rent before you buy, that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, or borrow someone else's bike for three days to see if you really want the $8,000 mountain bike. Borrow theirs for three days and see if it's that much better than your $300 used mountain bike. You just you know, gave and, yourself uh, a way that you live in Boulder, Colorado. Right? Yeah, right. Most people yeah, don't exactly. realize that a decent mountain bike is eight grand. Yeah. They're, they're, they're eight, nine, ten. I just learned this. Yeah. I, it's funny because they used to be, you know, when I last checked, I bought my, my mountain bike and literally I've still got it and it's my mountain bike in the garage. I bought it 30 two years ago, used then for $100. And it's still my mountain bike. It's this old Univega. It's like tall. I, I know the brand, man. I know. Yeah, Univega. I mean, do they even yeah. make those? I mean, I don't even know if this I, company. You probably, it's probably worth some, it's that old. Literally, I bet it's worth something because it's yeah, maybe. old classic yeah. or something like that. Yeah, and then I got this racing bike I bought used a long time ago called a Colnago. But that's actually kind of a hot ticket bike, yeah, a Colnago. That, you know? no, that was, that was, that's a good Italian yeah, right but it's there. a steel frame. And you know what? I, I figured I'll get a new bike as soon as I'm better than that bike. Like, it's holding me back. Well, they've never held me back. I'm the one who's, you know, I get on bike enough. And yeah. I'm not in good enough shape to say that it's the bike's fault, you know. Now, that being said, a friend of mine recently had me demo a Yeti. Uh -huh. Like, this real, really badass. It was like 9000 bucks. And if I, I demoed it. And it was nine thousand bucks. And if I wanted it, couldn't have it anyway until next year. They don't, oh, they're right. not in stock because yeah, everyone. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. I guess the, you know when the government throws trillions at the company uh, country, everyone goes and buys a hot mountain bike. I guess I don't know. Anyway, they're out of stock, and they can't make enough of them. But anyway, I demoed this bike for two days. I'm like, this is a, wow, that's quite a bike. But that was. But I I missed the part where like when I bought mine for a hundred. I missed the part where they were 1,000 or 2,000 or 3,000 or 4,000 or 5,000. They just jump right to 8,000. I'm yeah. not saying all mountain bikes are that, but I was shocked to find out you can even spend that much on one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I can't say much there. So I, my, I had, I'm like that too. You know, I'm not going to get something new until what I got breaks and the dumb thing wouldn't, uh, wouldn't break. Wouldn't so break. <laughs> I had my 2002 uh, giant team bike, uh, but then God bless Cannondale. They came along and did a big promotion on my show and whatever. And so I'm, I'm the guy on the $8,000 mountain bike. I got to admit, oh, it, it kicks it, butt. They're awesome. It's awesome. No, they are awesome. I it mean, awesome. I, it, what people can do and, and build in the, these days is pretty impressive. Yeah, it is impressive. All right. Well, spiritual. And we talked about that in the first show a bit that you are a uh, I don't know if, if I can say a spiritual guy. I think most, I, that's a term kind of like we talked about with love spiritual now is just everybody uses it in every which way, but, um, you have a component to your life. Tell me about your habits, perspectives there. Um, I guess I would say that I'm, I'm a very spiritual person. Um, but yet that I, I say that term without, I, I don't try to put some extraordinary definition on what that means for me. In other words, you know, I was, I was brought up Christian and I, I, I still am Christian. Um, um, but I'm not Christian to the exclusion of being Buddhist. And I've studied a lot of Buddhism. I find that it's unbelievably helpful and useful and an incredibly 
powerful and rich philosophy. And I've studied Zen and I've studied other religions. And um, I'm just, I, I just gobble up. I, I'm, it's the thing I'm most fascinated by is the idea of developing a relationship with, you know, something greater than ourselves yeah. and, uh, and, and coming to a place of genuine awareness as a human being where we can live as fully as possible in this world. And, and uh, like I said to you in the last show, I, I've come to believe after extraordinary amounts of analysis and thought that love, truth, and God are the same thing. So my, my, I guess my goal in life is to live a life of truth. That is to say, I want to understand what the truth is. I'm very curious. I want to know what's actually true. I want to know what's actually authentic. I find that things that are inauthentic or ingenuine are, are, are very uh, repulsive to me. I don't, I don't like things like that. When people are being, people aren't being their true self, it bothers me. And I want to get to the bottom of why they're acting that way. Uh, when I see um, someone, you know, a, a public figure acting in a way that I think isn't genuine or is, or is uh, um, not really how they feel, it bothers me. Conversely, when I see someone who's just being their authentic, true self, it's refreshing to me, like a wave of water over me. I love seeing people just be and who they are and be honest and try to seek the truth. So the truth is sort of what I seek in life. And I find that what I, every time that I've gotten cl the closest, the closer I get to the truth and really understanding the truth, the more I understand that that truth is love, that that truth is something incredibly positive, that that truth is abundant and fulfilling and enriching and powerful and wonderful and, 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 and filled with joyousness and um, goodness. And, and I equate that with love. Yeah. And, and, I, and, I, and I also believe that, um, that to the extent that no matter who you define God to be, God is love, because what is God if God isn't some higher being that is good and, and, and wants to uh, promote goodness and, and truth and clarity and all those things? So I think truth, love, and God are the same thing. I think you can interchange the words in any, any sense of God. You can put the word love and put the word truth in, and it probably always be correct. <laughs> you, you, I think you'll appreciate I had uh, I was talking with Donald Miller not long ago. He's an author and business leader, and he talked about his spirituality. He says, I, I, I you know, had some issues with, with Christianity now. I grew up in that, but I, I still identify very much with Christianity. I thought that's a good yeah, way to put it. You know, and to me, I would just say, to be, to be blunt, I think that religions can yeah. be a great deal of trouble for the world. Um, religions tend to be highly hypocritical. Re people who identify as being, I am religious, a lot of times justify um, sort of unsavory actions by saying, oh, I pray to God, God forgave me, and I move on. You know, I, I think sometimes religions, uh, religions can create disharmony in the world. Yeah. But I think that the fundamental, um, uh, like, for instance, take Christianity. I think if you look at Jesus's words in the Bible and you just find out what Jesus said, I mean, it's good stuff. I mean, I don't even care if you're, you know, not a Christian at all or even an atheist. Just read what Jesus said. You know, I mean, it's really good stuff. And mm -hmm. and so I think that. Um, I, I, you know, I, a good friend, I actually mentioned in the last show, he died recently, but Doug Coe, he was an interesting guy because he's thought of as being this incredibly Christian guy. And he said, I'm not a Christian. I'm not religious. I just love Jesus. That's what he said. That's and, uh, and he, and he had taken all of what Jesus said out of the Bible and just, he just knew every single thing that Jesus ever said. And he used that to guide his life. Well, you could do worse. It's wonderful principles. And, but I think likewise, um, a life of searching and seeking the truth for yourself and, and really finding what the truth means to you and, and continue to ask questions and be curious. Sometimes I would say uh, the churches I went to as a kid sometimes were a little, I would say, anti-curiosity. They're like, just have faith, trust, just have faith. Don't seek, just trust me, 
This is what you need. This is what God said. Well, that's hogwash. I mean, we are built with these powerful brains and we are curious and we should be as curious as possible. And we should go find out things for ourselves and learn them for ourselves. And, and, uh, and I think that that is something that, you know, a philosophy like Buddhism, you could say religion or philosophy, your choice, but something like Buddhism or Zen. I mean, th th these are um, philosophies that uh, really promote curiosity and, and, you know, learning things for yourself. And, and that's important too, I think. Agreed. Career is the next one. And you know, that's always an odd one to ask people I have on the show because they have often had a lot of success. They've done various things, but I still see you've got so many opportunities put in before you. I'm sure just, uh, it's endless what yeah. you get, uh, that's exciting. That's good, but that you got to have some boundaries around. What are some of your, let's just call them vocational it's, habits. It's funny. Okay. Here's the biggest habit. And it, and, it's, and it has to do with what you just said about boundaries. Right. Here's the biggest habit. I don't see career as different than life. So I don't believe in work-life balance. I don't even know what it means. I think it is a daft concept. I think I use the word daft in my book. It is a stupid concept, work-life balance. Now, does that mean I think people should work themselves to the grind? No, I think people should just live, okay? And, and when you live, you might become hopefully just by living, you'll become curious. And when you become curious, you'll ask questions. And if you ask questions, you'll be, you'll be wanting to see how you can be of service and of value in this world. And that will lead you to probably work. And as you work, you'll see that you are good at some things. And as you do those things you're good at, you'll probably feel fulfilled. Like, hey man, I'm doing something well that's helping people. Maybe you're building a product that helps people. Maybe you're providing a service that helps people. But when you do that, build that product or provide that service, you're going to feel good doing it. And the better you get doing it, the better you'll feel because you're providing something to others. You're helping others be at their best. And that feels good. And so when that feels really good, you'll do it with all your heart and soul. And I don't know where, I don't know what about my life is career. And I don't know what about my life is personal. I mean, when I interviewed those 25,000 people at Chipotle, I loved them. You know, I wasn't sitting at the table going, yep, I'm working, looking at my watch. Yep, I'll get off about 8 p.m. But no, I was just, talking to incredible people and loving them. And it happened to be incredibly powerful towards helping me run Chipotle yeah. in a skillful way. Likewise, when I was flying on a jet across the country to go to an analyst meeting with my um, uh, fellow officers, we were having fun. We were talking about how to make the business better, but we were also joking and laughing and, and cracking each other up. I mean, was it work? I, I guess. Um, was it personal? Yes. Was it really fun? Super fun. Uh, was it enriching? Yes. Uh, would I do it for free? You bet I would. And, and so, and in my, let's say in my personal life, let's say it's me and my wife talking, uh, you know, before we go to bed, just kind of facing each other talking, you know, what are we talking about? You know, a lot of times I'm talking about stuff you'd call work. Like, Hey man, I've got this speech coming up. I really want to be helpful. I want to really impart something that can help people with their lives, but I'm feeling insecure about it. And she might say, well, you know, how about this? How about that? You know, we'll talk about it. It's work. So was I working with my wife, looking at her, you know, uh, talking at, in the bedroom at night, I guess, you know? So with me, career and, and personal life have never been separate. You know, um, when I raise my kids, I'm, sometimes I'm talking about the jobs they're trying to get. Sometimes I'm talking about my job sometimes, but we're always talking about something to make our lives better. Um, we're always talking about, uh, we're always trying to promote joy, promote goodness, promote uh, well-being of each other uh, in the world. And to me, a life well lived, I suppose, is a life where, you know, one's work is one's life and one's life is one's work. Uh, and the two blur immensely because 
I've never had anything in my life as fulfilling as my work, but my work has included my family, my friends, and then the people I've worked with have become dear friends who I love dearly. So to me, it's all just a big blurred thing. And that's why the idea of work-life balance is, oh, brother. Now, I understand there are some jobs where they might be a bit more, uh, you know, nine to five and, you know, and maybe a bit more repetitive and might seem dull. But even then, I think there's an opportunity to bring enthusiasm, uh, to bring a desire to help the people around you, to try to make it more fun uh, and to make it more enriching in some way. And and hopefully make it feel more like it's a part of your life that you welcome as opposed to a part of your life that you well, loathe. Obviously, that's possible. There's some guy named Monty who did that with a really, <laughs> really big restaurant uh, company. So, um, <laughs> yeah, go read the book, folks. Personal is the last one. And that is one that you can put under self-care. I tend to come at it for the things that you do just for you, whether you call it play or fun or hobbies or interests, but the things that are just, uh, your personal pleasures, you could even say. Wow. Um, it's kind of everything I've mentioned. It's funny. It's uh, going for a swim in the morning. It's, uh, it's chatting with my, uh, with my friends. Um, it's, Oh, 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 oh here's one. I became a pilot since I retired. Oh, I, I know that from the show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I became a pilot and then I got my instrument rating and I got this really beautiful airplane, uh, which is called a TBM. And it's a single engine turboprop. So it's got a propeller, but it's got a turbine engine. And it is a blast. And I love flying that thing. And, and I'm almost always, I don't usually fly it just to go around in circles because it, you know, I, I just don't end up doing that. I usually fly it to go somewhere, but I love getting on that plane and flying somewhere. I love looking down on this country and just seeing the, the vast beauty of uh, the landscape of the mountains of streams, rivers, oceans. I love um, flying over it and and being in this sort of aloof place where you're not in any given place, but you just have this broad perspective. I love that I feel fr- my phone's not ringing. I love that I get some mental space at that moment. I love that I get to just kind of feel my thoughts gently interact with my observations of this incredible place we live, you know? Um, and that's something that I feel is, you know, maybe a bit more that I do sort of just for me. Now, the reality is a lot of times I'm taking people, friends, places, family places, we're going somewhere together and that's wonderful too. But I'd say that's one of my all-time favorite things is uh, just the freedom of living in a country where I'm allowed to get an airplane and fly it and take people places and look at this land and appreciate it from that perspective. I I think it's just, uh, it helps me to be so incredibly grateful for living in what I believe is um, an incredibly special country. In an incredibly special world. Yeah. You just explained mountain biking for me. That's where I yeah. go yeah, off into the another woods and, and do it. Man, thank you. Thanks for uh, the hey, behind thanks. the scenes one, but also just some great, great commentary on these yeah, super important areas of life. Man, it has been a gift to talk oh, with Kevin, you. thank you. That's uh, that's really nice of you to say, and I've I've enjoyed so much talking to you. I, like like you say about work and personal, this has just been really fun. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I hope it's useful for people. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did, and and I thank you so much for your interest in what I've been up to. Yes. Well, there you go, friends, the habits and insights from Monty Moran. Again, if you'll visit loveisfree.com, you can buy his book titled Love is Free, Guac is Extra. And he'll write whatever you want in it and send it to you. 
Well, coming up in episode 934 of The Ziggler Show, we hear a story from Zig Ziggler about termites, that these little insects that take such small bites, we can't even perceive of it, do so much more damage than earthquakes and hurricanes that get all the press. But we take it on a positive spin and towards the positive little steps, innocuous it may seem, that we take every day that lead to really our greatest achievements. Well, from this, I asked the Ziegler audience, what is a tiny step or deposit you take nearly every day that pays great dividends in the long term? Well, Tom Ziegler and I talk through the comments just to showcase what aspiring people like you and I are doing. The small steps that sometimes they just have to have faith in that they ultimately do realize progress in and achieve their overall success from. Till then, thank you as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together.